Let's look for a little while tonight. Very familiar scripture, but as I feel led of the Lord, I believe there's something in this that's going to help us. In the third chapter of the book of St. John, we want to look at three verses, 14, 15, and 16 tonight. And we want to talk about the great value, the great value of God. Now, when we begin to think about God, it's more than my mind can uh, hold. How great is he? People ask that question a lot of time. I say, I don't know. All I know is he's great. How great is he? Don't ask me. The word of God tells us over and over of his greatness. But when it's all said and done, we had not scratched the surface on the greatness of God. God is a great God. And read with us. I'll not have you stand. You've been standing a good bit. But read with us these three verses. It said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you pray with us tonight? Ask God to touch us. Ask God to anoint us. Use us to say something that'll be a help and help you tonight. Brother Anthony, would you pray with us tonight? Father, we need your help. We need your anointing. Can't do a thing without you, Lord. If you'll help us, Lord, we can say something to help somebody. We believe you will. Because you're God, you're the King of kings, and you're the Lord of lords. And all things, more than conquerors, Lord. Amen. Let's notice these few verses tonight. Let's notice that verse 14. And see why was this brought in, and why was verse number 15. It gives us some great things that God has done for man. But then when you go down to verse 16, this verse of here tells us what made it possible for verses 14 and 15 to be fulfilled. Made it possible that brought about the means or the ways, the reason for these, word, these two verses here to be related to us that we can be a part and a portion of them. First of all, he tells of a happening in the history past. We know what all of this is about. I've taken from the book of Numbers, uh, and it talks about this great event that took place. Israel had transgressed against God. He turned their back on him, went ever which way but the right way. But we find that God, it said God sent. Notice that carefully. It said, for God sent. God sent fiery serpents among them. You'll find this back uh, in the book of Numbers. We'll not have time to look up all of these tonight. Wouldn't, wouldn't have time to near finish it. But we find that these begin to bite and to kill. They call them fiery serpents. Some great scholars say the reason for that, that they were a very, very poisonous thing. And at their bite, it was like a fire and it spread across man causing paralysis and death in just a very short time. But here we find death had come. 
Punishment had come. Judgment had come because of disobedience and transgression. But because of the love of God. Now notice, God always has love. God never judges man with, we would call with hatred. He will with vengeance sometimes. But God has never judged a nation without first loving that nation. God has never judged a sinner without loving that sinner. And it still happens today. God looked down and what caused him? him to have compassion after he had sent them there. We find that this chastisement, he loved them enough until he said, I'll provide a way that they can have life. What's it going to be? I'm going to take an image of the very thing that brought death and I'm going to have Moses to make it and put it up on a pole. And when they look on this and believe, then they can live. I don't know how many people died from the time that he had spoken this until the image was made and set up, but they had to look on the very thing that was causing their death, an image of it, and believe that that could bring life to them. Let's go forward a little bit and then we'll step back again. How does that include here with the uh, crucifixion? As it said, so, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus Christ went to the cross being the Son of God. We know that. Pure, holy, never committed a sin, never did anything unrighteous. The only way he knew sin was comparing the things of God against the things of man that didn't measure up to what God commanded of man. He did not know sin by experience. But yet when he went to the cross, the sins of man was placed upon him. The Bible tells us that he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God within being him. So notice this now, as they looked upon the very thing that brought their death, they had to look on that and believe in the wilderness to have life. When Christ was hanging on the cross, our sins were placed on him. He suffered in the flesh and bore our sins on the cross. So therefore, men today must look to the cross where our sins were bore in order to have life. You see, by man, death entered into the world, and by man, he bore our sins and became sin for us that we might have life. Why was all this brought about? Let's notice going a little bit further. And it said that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We want to look tonight and see what's the reason behind this? What's the cause of all of this deliverance that we're talking about? What's the behind this? What's the driving cause that would cause Christ to go to do this? We find he said himself, I've come to do the will of the Father. He said himself, I only say what the Father teacher tells me to say. He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. So then we find as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed and said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And he went to the cross. What was the driving force behind this? Let's look a little bit further back in the Old Testament for just a little while. We find the beginning of verse number 16. It said, for God. 
for God. The reason behind these things in verse 14 and 15 is because of God. God in His grace and God in His love. The Old Testament proved His love. Jesus proves it in the New Testament. We look back for just a little while tonight. What is this great God? Who is this great God? We find here is a great God in Genesis 1 and 1 that took nothing and made something out of it. The Bible said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It didn't take anything and reassembled it. We find out uh, uh, the former earth age and then the earth age as we know it now, but that's a lot of controversy. People goes back and forth in. So I just take the scripture as he tells us. Don't try to get into these things back there that, well, I'll say it anyway. It don't matter a hill of beans what happened before Adam. Am I right or wrong? That has nothing to do with salvation. That has nothing to do with being saved. So why do I want to try to dig up all of that when I got Jesus to talk about? So let's see now. Let's forward here. A God great enough to create a heaven and an earth. Who did he create it for? Not for his goodness. He had the heavens and all to begin with. He created it for man's sake. He created it for man to live in. He created it for man to enjoy. Why? Because he loved man. Man was the pinnacle of his creation. All else he created, and this was a good thing. But church, he never was satisfied until he created something in his own likeness and in his own image. And he loved this man enough until he breathed a living soul into him. That's the most important thing that God can show with his love. Without that soul, we would have no hope of eternal life. Without that soul, we would have nothing that we could worship God with. But God loved man enough to put a living soul in him that could connect with the Almighty God. God is a loving God. God is a caring God. Even in the time of his chastisement, he loves God. Man had every chance in the world. Man was pure. Man was perfect. There was no reason for him to be any other way. But there came a time over in the book of Genesis, if you'd like to keep up with this, in the seventh chapter, verses 18, 17 through 19, there came a time that, that God looked upon man and the very thoughts of man, all that he did was evil. The Bible said it repented God that it even made man. Wish I'd done some other way. There has to be another way. But in the midst of all of that, he loved man enough to give man an opportunity for a man to build a boat for him to get in. I don't find in God's word anywhere where he forbid anybody to come to that ark. But there was only one family that was willing to come. God shows his love, but man must accept his love before it becomes effective with him. So let's notice what happened now. He said, I'll bring a flood. But he looked down and saw a man that was precious in his eyes, found grace in the eyes of the Lord, perfect in his ways. And he said, but no, I'm going to establish a covenant with this man. I'm going to spare him. I'm going to spare his family, build an ark. And I do as I tell you, gather up those things that I'll send there and I'm going to take care of you. God loved Noah enough until he went into the ark before Noah did because he said, now come into the ark. 
coming and letting us to know God loves us enough. Even in the time of perils, God will go before us and prepare a way for us that we will be able to stand. My Lord, he said, I'll make a covenant with this man. And Noah went in. He gave a promise to the world in Genesis 3 and 15. We're getting close now to the verse we want to look at. God looked at man back then. He saw the flood would come. He knew it was coming. He saw the things after the flood. Man had another opportunity when these souls went off. But yet, that didn't work. First thing you know, they're in sin. They're committing sins. Sin is rampant on every hand. But God saw back at the time that Adam failed. Let's notice what he said about it. Genesis, the third chapter, in the 15th verse, talking about the serpent that came and beguiled Eve. Now, let's notice something about this. I'd like to throw in a few little things along the way. Somebody said uh, that serpent was the devil because he's called a serpent. No, Satan used that serpent. Satan was created an angel and he'll always be an angel. He can't change himself into a serpent. He's an angel. When he's in the lake of fire, he'll still be in the form of an angel. He's called a serpent. He's called a dragon. He's called a lot of things. But church, he was a created being and he will remain a created being. But he used a serpent to, to, to do his dirty work for him. Because of that, God cursed it to crawl on its belly. And you'll find not even in the millennial time is he restored back to any type of life except what he already has. But let's notice there's a promise made. Sin is abounding. The, uh, Adam has failed. Eve has failed. There's a lot going on. But he said, let me tell you something. He said, I've put enmity between you now between the serpent and his seed, your seed, the seed of a woman. Now, let's notice what's taking place. Notice what this says, and we'll not get too far in this. We've got so much to cover. He said, and the, her seed. Now, notice he's referring to here, he's not referring that this seed that would grow up, or this child would grow up. He's referring to the fact he would not have a human father. Study that out, you'll find that. Because his father would be the heavenly father. He said, I put enmity between them, and it was there. Christ was persecuted from before he was born. He was persecuted after he was born. He was in the hands of man, and he was hung on a cross and crucified. And he said he'll bruise his heel, but he said, this seed or this one that'll grow up, he's gonna bruise Satan's head. What happened? He bruised him, yes. He was beat. He was hung on a cross. He was crucified. But church, when he said it is finished, he had defeated Satan and all that he stood for. He, Oh, he had finished the plan and satisfied the Father that the sin debt was paid for and Satan is defeated it even in this day that we're living in. Why did he do it? What was it all about? Not because that we were such great and good and wonderful people, but it was because God loves us without measure and under all conditions. God loves us. Oh, church, wouldn't it be wonderful tonight if mankind as a whole could just realize how much God loves them? Surely, surely the sinners, they wouldn't continue in their sinful ways if they could 
realize how much God has loved them and does love them and to these extremes that he has gone to to prevent them from being lost, but yet they go their way. But in spite of it, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Oh, the great God, the greatest God, the only true and the living God. But now let's notice what's the motive behind it. It said the greatest motive that man's ever had. What he so loved. Oh, the Bible tells us greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. What love. Let's look at a few scriptures here. My Lord, what love. What love. Here's the motive behind it. John tells us in the fourth chapter, verses 8 and verses 16, he says, God is love. The Bible tells us we love him because he first loved us. Oh, yes. And the Bible said he showed his love toward us. Even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That shows not only the love of Christ, but that shows the love of the Father because Christ only did those things the Father told him to do. So he did according to the will of the Father. What love, what love has been shown? My Lord, I think a lot of times I used to do a lot of singing and one of the songs I really enjoyed talked about being down in the pit and couldn't get out until one day said there was a hand that reached farther down than I could reach up. I couldn't reach him because of my sins. I couldn't reach him because of my wickedness. But church and his love, he reached down and didn't pull him in the pit, but he reached down and pulled me out of the pit. And the psalmist said, set my feet on a rock and establish my goings. And he put a new song in my mouth. Why would he do such? Because as the Bible said, what love that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be what? Called the sons of God. My Lord, what love, what love. It cannot be even imagined. Let's look a little bit further today. What is sinful man? Why has God spared sinful man? There's no reason for it. You know, in the present world today, men that do terrible and awful crimes are put away for life or they're executed or whatnot. But God is a different. God loves man and God's mercy goes far beyond the severity of the crimes and the sins, far beyond the number of sins. Oh, he goes far beyond all these things. And when it comes time that man comes to him in repentance, He'll take every one of these things and put them in one big old ball and forgive them and throw them away and never remember them again. What love the Father hath bestowed upon us, the great man John said, my Lord. Why did he go to Calvary? What helped him there? The nails didn't. He said, I could have called more than 12 legions of angels. I could get loose anytime I wanted to. Then what helped him there? The same thing that helped him there when he looked down at those that crucified him and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. He loved the ones that drove the nails just as much as he loved the disciples. 
No difference in it. You know, we look sometimes at humanity and we look at man and we'll say, well, you know, uh, this one is this and this one is that. But when it comes down in the eyes of God, the ground around the cross is always level. Jesus didn't shed a certain amount of blood for this one or that one or another, but he shed all of his blood so that every individual could be redeemed from sin. What brought it on? It's love. What's causing God today to be long-suffering and sparing man when all the wickedness in the world, wicked things that even in my lifetime I would never imagine could ever happen or take place. But yet a merciful God what love that he gives man another opportunity day after day after day to make things right with God. I've told sinners over the years in services, if you're in the house of God and you're a sinner, you're the most blessed person in the world. You are the greatest and the greatest privilege of any person in the world. Why? Because the saints of God that are here tonight, had they passed away sometime on the way to church or at home, they'd be in the glory world. But if your sinner had passed away before you got to the house of God, you'd be lost in hell. And God gave you one more opportunity to make things right with Him. Church, that's love that boggles the mind of humanity. That boggles the mind of humanity. How can He do that? Because it said for God. For God, so love. The great motive behind it is the love of the living God. Now we want us to notice here, this love is not merited. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to ever repay it. I've heard people say, well, you know, we got to pay for our sins. No, sir, we, we are forgiven of our sins. Sometimes we pay for the deeds that we did, but far as the sin itself, God washes it away in the flow of Calvary. Didn't merit it, no, didn't deserve it, no. No matter who you are, how good you've lived, or how good things you've done for other people, that didn't count when you come to God. All he looked at was there's a sinner that needs to be saved, and they're willing, they're repentant, and I'm going to wash that sin away unmerited favor that God's love has shown to us. I like where Paul, I believe our pastor mentioned it here, our brother, maybe brother God we did here in the last while, where Paul talked about who can separate us from the love of God. Who can do it? Notice it said who. It goes on to name a group of natural things and said they can't. Then it named some other things on down and said they can't. But the question is, who can? Who can? There's only one person that can draw us from the grace of God, but there's nothing can separate us from the love of God. God will love us unconditionally. And I like to look at the other side of this. There's no one human, there's no one devil, there is no person or no event or no happening that can prevent us from loving God. We can love God in spite of it all. 
Paul talked about, you know what it is to be cold. I mentioned it here in Sunday school one day. I know what it is to be hungry. I know what it is to be abased. abased. He didn't say that's what I want to do all the time, but he said I can be content. Why can I be content? Because God's still the same whether I'm cold or whether I'm hungry or whether I've got plenty or whether I don't. God does not change. His love does not change. His love for us will never diminish. In church, it's a two-way street. He won't wants us to love him back. He wants us to love him back and return some of that love. Let's notice going a little bit further. He said he loved the world. The greatest fear, the greatest scope of love that can ever be known. What's he talking about loving the, the world? Bible tells us love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For the love of the world... If we do that, said the love of the Father is not in us. He's not talking about the sinful system of the world. He's talking about his creation. Man, first of all, but now let's notice. I mentioned this the first time I ever spoke in this church. The Bible said Jesus came to seek and to save that. Notice that word, that which was lost. Now we know that sinners are at the top of the list. Humanity is at the top of the list. But this word that puts it on a different scale. What is lost? In Eden, man lost everything and had to start rebuilding. God can restore man, but this old earth will never be restored until in the book of Revelation where they took that book out and they said who can open this can't nobody I know of can't nobody but then there's the lamb said he's worthy he'll open it what's he opening that book for because I'm going back and I'm going to reclaim the earth I'm going to restore the earth I'm going to put a new earth there and when I put that new earth I'm going to restore everything that Adam lost in Eden It'll be like it was perfection in the very beginning. Not only can man be restored, but there's coming a day, church, when the heavens and the earth are passed away. John said, I saw it. And I saw a new heaven, and I saw a new earth. A new earth to restore all that has been taken. Oh yes, in this present time that we're living. The Bible tells us now oh, that this restoration will take place one day. Then we noticed, he said he loved the world that he gave. I like that. He gave the greatest act that has ever been performed. Had he not given his son, his son could not have given his life. If son had not given his life, we could not have life everlasting. But it said he gave the greatest giver the greatest giver that has ever been. No one has ever nor will ever be able to give a gift like the Heavenly Father gave. Never will there ever be one. Let's see a few verses of Scripture here. The Bible tells us that He gave. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 9 and 21 that He made Himself to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Galatians 4 and 4 said, In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born under the law, born of a woman, 
to redeem them that were under the law. Greatest gift that man has ever known. Romans 8 and 32 said, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. What a giver. What a giver. Church, there's none to compare tonight to this great giver, God. Let's look a little bit further. Time is slipping away and we want to get all we can. We'll leave out some and pick up on others. Now notice this. He gave. What did He give? He gave His only begotten Son. Not only is He the greatest giver, He gave the greatest gift. Amen. The greatest gift. My Lord, church, this is one gift that man cannot buy. He cannot earn it. He cannot in any way obtain it except going to the Father in the name of Jesus and let the Jesus plead our case with Him. And by faith in that blood that was shed, we can have eternal life through His only begotten Son. My, aren't you glad that we still celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ? That gift... That great gift. Let's look at a few uh, uh, verses of Scripture here. His only begotten Son. He said, for unto you. Let's go back here. We're getting ahead of ourselves. The only begotten Son. Let's look back to the book of Luke. Get back on track here. There were some shepherds, the Bible tells us, out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now I've heard people arguing, carry on. Say they can't be. They took their flocks in in the summer. I don't care if they took them in on the 4th of July. They say, well, he can't be born at Christmas because the shepherds in the fields warm up. I don't care if he's born on Halloween. It's not the day he was born on that counts. I'm talking about the calendar day. It's the fact that he was born. And it's the fact that we believe he was born. And it's the fact that we set aside a date to celebrate the day he was born. You see, that's what's important. It's not important for me to know the day. I'm talking about the calendar day. It's not important for me to know what time of day. All I have to know is that I believe the Word of God for the Word of God tells me that the angel Gabriel came to Mary. Oh yes, a virgin there in Israel and said, plain old country talk said, hey Mary, let me tell you something. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a child. What are you talking about, man? I don't know any man. Not me. He said, oh yeah, you are. But let me tell you what's going to happen. Well, Lord, the shadow of the Lord's going to overshadow you. God's going to take the Word out of heaven heaven and the Holy Ghost is going to come and plant him into your womb and you're going to bring forth a son and you're going to call his name Jesus. That's all I need to know. That's enough for me. I don't need to know the exact time. I don't need to know the calendar date. I've just got to know that it happened. Oh church, that great gift. What are we going to do with that gift? Who is that gift for? Well, let's see. The Bible tells us out there in the field and all at once, the angel of the Lord came upon them. There was a birth so important. I read the scriptures a lot. Solomon was a great king. Wisdom like no other king ever had. But angels didn't come and proclaim his birth. 
King David was a great and a mighty king. The, the Jews today, they still hail him as the great, the mighty King David. But angels didn't come and proclaim his birth. But my Bible tells me that the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were so afraid. But the angel said unto them to fear not, for behold, listen, behold, listen to what I got to say. Got some important news for you fellas if you'll just listen I've got some good news behold over here in Jerusalem over here not in Jerusalem but over here in Bethlehem there is born unto you a child a child's born over there and you'll find him and he'll be led in a manger and he'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes so listen to me shepherds I want you to be sure what's going on now for unto you is born this day Let's get all these words in and get the meaning to it. In the city of David, over in Bethlehem, a Savior. Now notice this. He specified the day, this day he's born. Specified the place, specified how he, the conditions under which he would be found. A Savior, which is a Christ the Lord. And now this is going to be a sign to you. I don't know how many babies had been born during that time if they had a great thing going on. But he said, you're going to find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. This is, this is, this is what you've got to look for. And it said, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Church, his birth had an effect on some old men laying out there with a bunch of sheep. My yes, when the angel had gone away into heaven, the shepherds arose and said, Come, let us go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they went with haste and found Mary and they found Joseph and they found the babe laying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they left there praising and magnifying God and they spread it abroad what they had seen in heard. Church, what a gift. What a gift that is still effective today. Here's a gift that don't get old. Here's a gift that don't fade away. Here's a gift that we don't use for a while and set on a shelf. But he's new every day as the day comes around, as the day rolls on. He's new. He's new every day. His only begotten son. All the Bible tells us now, this only begotten son in Matthew 20 and 28 that he gave his life a ransom for many. Not only was he born, but he lived a sinless life and he was crucified. Hebrews 7 25 said, therefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto to him, unto God by him, seeing he ever lived to make intercession for them. My yes. What about the love of God? Who's it cover? We said it was scope, it covered the world. Yes, it does. But salvation is an individual thing. Jesus taught the multitudes, but I don't remember ever reading where he just waved across four or five thousand and said, Hey, y'all are saved, going home. That didn't happen. Salvation is a personal experience. 
There may be a dozen here being saved at one time. But church, whatever the number is, it's still a personal thing. An individual thing. Oh, between the sinner and God. It's a personal thing. I can remember when God saved me, lifted me up. That's as far as I'll go. Some folk like to talk about the past. Not me. Not me. I don't want to go back there, brother. Somebody asked me one day, said, I bet you're into a lot of things. I said, I'll tell you one thing. I was not born a preacher. That's all I'll tell you. That's all I'll tell you. But when I went to church that morning, and I heard a fellow preach on the theme, the danger of looking back. And I realized I had looked back. And when I went down to God's altar, I didn't care who else was there. Didn't matter to me who come to pray for me or who didn't. I had one thing in mind, and that was I wanted to get rid of that load I was carrying, and I wanted to get right with Jesus. And oh yes, uh, oh when that uh, when the touch came, how do you know you're saved? Uh, let me tell you something, church. Uh, there's a feeling on the inside. Not only is there's a feeling, but I know God's word said uh, if you confess your sin, He's just, He's faithful to forgive you for sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When I did that, there was something flooded my soul that washed away all the sin, and I got up from there and went home and cleaned the house out, and it's been clean ever since. So church, there's something about this gift that'll change your life for eternity if you'll just reach out and accept him. What a gift, what a gift this great God of heaven oh, has given to us. My, yes, that's the greatest invitation and we're going to wind down right shortly here. Great invitation. Notice what he said. That whosoever believes in him, that whosoever believes in him, I like that, John said in 3 and 7 and 37, If any man thirst, let him come and drink. Matthew 11 and 28, that whos and whosoever includes a great number, perhaps some sitting here tonight. He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Surely we preach that to the sinner sometime. But church, we may as well admit it. There's times when we're labored and heavy laden, aren't we? I've heard people talk about just a shout every day, and I've told several along the way, I'd say, well, I don't live as good as you do, I don't reckon. Because I have days that if the Lord was right here, it'd feel like He's a million miles away. You ever have any days like that? I've had days when it seemed like that it just wasn't fit to get out of the bed. Had you lost your salvation? No. I was among that that was laboring and heavy laden. The Bible teaches us, Jesus said he had a burden, he had a yoke, but he said my burden to be easy, my yoke will be light. We wear that yoke. I remember my grandpa, he's a timber man. When I was just a little feller, he had some oxen that he drugged timber with. Had that old wood yoke he put around her neck. But you know, I found out he's a compassionate man. If they was doing a lot of heavy pulling and that old shoulders got a little bit chafed, he'd get rags and whatever he could get. 
and he packed behind that old yoke. He pad that thing to make it easy for them, to make it light, so they'd be able to carry on. Church, when it seemed like we can't pull that load any further, God will get that yoke and he'll pack it full of love all around it. He'll pack grace all around it. He'll pack mercy all around it. And when he sets it back down on our shoulders, uh, he'll let us to mount up with wings like eagles. Uh, and oh yes, church, uh, we'll be able to travel on a little bit further. We get labors and heavy laden sometime. But let me tell you, let me read the rest of this. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. He said, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. That's a promise. That's a promise. It's whosoever includes Revelation 22 and 17. He said, and the spirit and the bride says, come. Let him that hears say, come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, look at that, take of the water of life freely. My Lord, I like that. I like that church. Here's a great God, a great God. Whosoever believes, let them come. Let them partake of it. In closing tonight, I want us to look at the latter part of this. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is our greatest security. We don't have any security outside of God. Thank God for our good policemen and different ones. But church, they can't be everywhere at one time. They can't stand in front of the door all the time. And do you know everybody that rides by your house? Do you know what their intentions are? I don't. When people come by and slow down and look around as they go by, do I know what they're thinking about? No, I don't. Everybody don't love God. I can tell you this because it happened. Sister Diane may remember when I was at Fairview, went out one evening to go to church and somebody wrote in the back across there, had the, uh, a picture of a gun drawn in it and said, Preacher, you're next. You're next. You're to be killed. Well, called the deputies down. They say, I think I know who's done it. Just give me a little time, but have somebody be outside for a few services. Be sure they got it all straightened out. We don't know. We don't know who's worried or what they've got plans for. Uh-uh. You go down and look at the parsonage, unless they've changed it at Fairview today, you'll find on the front of it, been shot with a shotgun. Preacher, what you're talking about, there's people that hates God and God's work. If you think I'm telling you a fib, you talk to the people at Fairview, they'll tell you the same things. Unless they've changed the front, go up there and look. The shot are there in that, in that siding today. Everybody's not a Christian. We can't stand on the front porch all the time and, and watch and watch and watch and watch and try to keep peace in our home. But I want to tell you something. My Bible tells me the angel of the Lord camps round about them that fear him to deliver them. Church, we don't have greater security than that. A lot of times I go to bed at night and I hear cars go by out and they'll see them slow down, they'll speed up. And I'll say, Lord, I don't see him, but there's an angel around here somewhere. 
And just let him stay close to me, Lord, because I don't know who that is up there, but you do. That's all that counts. You know who it is, and you take care of me, and he always has. Church, we need some security in this day we're living. We need it. We need it. Oh, I can take care of self. You can't take care of self no more than I can take care of self. We need God's hand on us. We need God's hand on us. He said not perish. I want us to look at this. Well, let's look at this perish in two different ways here. Perish to begin with carries several different meanings if you start tracing it down. I want us to look at one right here. Perish in one of the meanings is, is to drift away from God and be in danger of the judgment. Danger of perishing. Get away from God. You're under the judgment of perishing. But he's saying here, notice what he's saying here. He said, believe on him, hold on to him, and we'll not drift away from God. We'll not put our hopes and our dreams and our confidence in any other things, but we'll keep them in God. And our spiritual life will not perish. We can hold true to the end. And then we want to notice another meaning to it here but have everlasting life. Oh, let's look in the book of Job, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Said, Doth Job fear God for naught? You've made a hedge about him in his house, and all he has on every hand. You've blessed his handiwork. You've increased his substance. Oh, yes. Saints, let's notice something about this. Said, You've got a hedge around him. Well, the angel of the Lord camps round about us here. But more important than physical things that can happen to us, we don't want to suffer a spiritual death. No, no. That's something that we don't want to do. But let's see what we got. John eleven twenty six said, Whosoever liveth and believeth on me shall never die. Talking about suffering spiritual death. Perishing a spiritual death. Bible tells us that those that live in sin are dead even while they're living. Even while they're yet living. But I want us to notice everlasting, everlasting. Read with us. I'd like for you to mark this somewhere in the book of Psalms. This will help you along the way. Chapter 37, verse number 28. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. What's it all about? What's brought it on? And what is it today that we as individuals share in these things? It's that great love of God. For God so loved, that covers it all. Father, we've given that. Well, glory to God. Lord, we've given that, Lord that you've given unto us. Now we pray, God, that it's been sufficient because I've done the best I can, Lord. And I hope, God, that it's good enough. And I pray, God, that it'll touch every heart, every life that needs something here tonight. Lord, and let every, every individual, Lord, realize even the more and the more, Lord, just how much you really love us. Just how much you really watch over us, Lord. Just how much you really do for us, Lord. We just couldn't make it without you, Lord. And I pray, God, your blessings upon everyone that's entered this house tonight.
upon their families, upon their labors, upon everything, God, that they possess. Be with them in that special way in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you. I pray tonight that something has been said that's been a help to you. I've studied on this and prayed on it, and I felt led of the Lord. This is what He would have us to do. And I pray that it has been pleasing to the Lord and has been acceptable to the church tonight. Would you stand and we'll be dismissed. Amen. Father of heaven, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful congregation. Thank you, Lord, for their attention. And thank you, God, for your sweet Holy Ghost that has anointed our minds, Lord, to be able, Lord, to tell what the good story of is, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go with every one of them, Lord. Give them a safe trip home. God, give them a good night's rest. Bless them, Lord, in every way, in every way, Lord, because we ask it in Jesus' name and for your sake. And everybody say,